What is that book that you have in your hand? And you say it's the Bible, of course. Well, I know it's called the Bible. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But just what is that book that you have in your hand with you this morning? To some people, it's a book of suggestions, and that's how they view it. It's, it's a good book. It's a good book of suggestions, like many other books that recommend a better living. And this is a good book of suggestions, and uh, I take some of them and I reject some of them. To some, it's a book of good morals. It's just some good moral stories that help us live better, perhaps. To some, it's a book of great stories. It's just great characters. Storybook is basically what it is. To others, it's a book that's outdated. It was a good book at one time, but we have advanced far beyond that, and it is not anything that we need for our present day. To others, it's even a book of nonsense. Makes no sense at all. To others, it is a book that's written by man. Man just devised everything therein. And others think it's a book maybe written by God, by man. I'm not sure, but it can't be understood. We don't really know what it says. We can't understand it. It's difficult. And for others, they view it as it's a guide for life. And so again, I ask you, what is that book you hold in your hand? Just what is the Bible? You say the book I have is a Bible. But what is the Bible? What is it? And where did it come from? And how do you use it? How are you supposed to use it? And how are you using it? Is it being used properly? And what does it tell you when you do read it? What are you gaining from that? Well, it's interesting to observe. This is the best-selling book of all times. It is the most read book universally. It is quoted more frequently, perhaps, than any other writing of all of mankind has ever produced. Most everybody has a copy, or at least has access to a copy of the Bible. And yet, it, on the other hand, is the most abused book there has ever been. It is misquoted, it is misapplied. Quite often when someone says, the Bible says, they don't have the quotation correct, or not even closely correct, or it may not even be found in the Bible at all. It's often misapplied. It's undermined by false concepts, false doctrines that have where people twist and tw uh, rest and pervert the scriptures to their own destruction. Some abuse the Bible from the standpoint it just simply sits on a shelf or it maybe lays in the car or it lays on a table and it goes unread. They've got a Bible and it's a nice copy of the Bible and it looks good, has the leather cover on it, but it's never used. We never read it. Others read it, but then they ignore what it says. And so indeed it is an abused book. But it's the most notable book. And here's our questions about this most notable book. Just what is this book? And what makes this book so special from other books? Where men have claimed God wrote those other books. God directed them, they say. And how did we get this book anyway? And how are we supposed to use this book? What am I supposed to do with it? Am I, am I supposed to read it every day? Am I supposed to read it like a storybook? How am I supposed to use this book? What's it supposed to be for me? So this morning, let's talk about the Bible itself. This book you hold in your hand. And let's start with this. Let's talk about what it's called and why it's called what it's called. First of all, we call it the Bible. And you may have a copy that says on the outside or maybe it says on the spine, it says Holy Bible. Or it may simply say the Bible. Why do we call it that? It's never, that term is never used. 
with reference to the Bible itself in the New Testament, or the Old for that matter. But the word Bible comes from Biblos. It is simply means book. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. This is not talking about the entire Bible, but the Bible, Matthew, the book of Matthew begins with the book of genealogy. That word translated book is the word Biblos. And it is simply means book. That's all it means. And thus we call this book the Bible because it is the book. It is the standard is what we mean by that. In other words, this is a holy book. When we call it the Holy Bible, what that simply means is this is a holy book. In other words, this is the book from God. So the reason we call it the Bible and the Holy Bible is we view this as a book that is holy because it came from God. It is the standard. It's the book. There's another term that's used. We find this one in the Bible itself, and that is the Scriptures. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse 15. We won't read every passage. It's going to be on the screen before you. But just get a flavor of how the terms are used. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.15 that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, referring to the Old Testament. What's called the Holy Scriptures, not just Scriptures, but the Holy Scriptures. Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 16, 2 Peter 3 and 16, that Paul wrote some things in all of his epistles which are hard to understand, which those who are untaught and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. Here the New Testament writings are referred to as the scriptures. Well, the Bible tells us to search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. The Bereans were noble because they searched the scriptures daily. Now what does the word scripture mean? It's come from this word graphe, which means to write, or it refers to a written document. So when the Bible is referred to as the scriptures, it's referred to, referring to it as a written document. That's the scriptures. These are the writings called the Bible because it's the book. It's called scriptures because it is a written document. But here's what I'm learning from that. The written word is the same as the oral word. In other words, the written word has the same force, has the same power, has the same inspiration as the oral word. If God spoke from heaven and thundered out of the clouds and gave you a message, here's what you are to do. You'd say, well, that's from God. That's a very important message. I need to listen to that. But the written message is just as much from God, has the same authority and the same power. That's why it's called the Scriptures. Here's another expression referring to the, the Bible, and that is it's referred to as the Word of God. Let's turn to Romans chapter 10 and in verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. He didn't call it the Bible there, he didn't call it the Scriptures. He calls it the Word of God, he says. Well, Paul said to the Thessalonians, when I came to you, he said, you welcome the message, not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God. He contrasts the Word of God to the Word of men. He said, this is the Word of God. Well, we are to preach the Word, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and in verse 2. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, chapter 1 and in verse 23... Here were some that were born again, not of the corruptible seed, but by the precious, but by the, uh, 
by the precious blood of Christ, earlier verses 18 and 19, they're born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God that lives and abides forever. Same thing in verse 25. So now why is it called the word of God? This is an utterance or an expression of thought. A word is a vehicle of thought. So this is the word of God because the expression of the mind of God is found here. God's thoughts have been translated into words and then given to us, those words become the vehicle of thought. So we're taking the thoughts of God or God took his thoughts and put them in words. So now we have the word of God, which means it indeed is inspired. More about that in a moment. Let's talk about the term gospel. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and in verse 16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So here the Bible is referred to, or the, the word of God, or the scriptures is referred to as the gospel. Blessed are those who preach the gospel and bring glad tidings of good things. Romans chapter 10. Paul will talk about how the gospel was preached at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We see the same thing in Colossians 1 and in verse 23. Now what does the word gospel mean? Well, it just simply means good news or glad tidings. Now what's involved in the good news? Well, the good news is that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus has come. We have a Messiah that takes away the sin of the world. More about the gospel in just a moment. But it's the same word for the word evangelize. Where we talk about evangelizing the word world, that is we're carrying the good news to the world. Same word is the word we get the word gospel from, the good news. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11. Here's another thing that it's called, and it's called the oracles of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. We don't use the term oracle a lot in our everyday conversation. But it's called the oracles of God. Now Romans chapter 3 talking about the advantage the Jew had over the Gentile. What advantage did they have? Because unto them were given the oracles of God. Talking about the law of God of the Old Testament was given unto the Jews, called the oracles of God. Hebrews chapter 5 and in verse 12 talks about the oracles of God. And so the Bible is called the oracles of God. What does that mean? It's an utterance. It's the word from which we get our word, word. And so it's an utterance from God. In other words, these are statements from God. If any man speak, let him speak as the statements come from the mouth of God. It's the oracles, the sayings of God. The Bible is also referred to as the truth. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2 and in verse 14. Galatians chapter 2 and in verse 14. The word of God, the revelation of God is referred to as the truth. Notice verse 14. This is Paul rebuking Peter for his hypocrisy when I saw that you were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. That which is the truth is the same as that which is the gospel. That which is the gospel is the same as the truth. Notice in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 10 through 12, here were some who would have the love of the truth that they might be saved. Some would receive the love of the truth. Others rejected the love of the truth. So the Bible is referred to as the truth. 1 Peter 1 and verse 22, seeing you, you purified your souls in obedience to the truth by obeying the truth. And so what does it mean it's the truth? It's in contrast to that which is error, that which is fiction. It is what's right and what's true. So since it is the revelation that came from God, 
then it is true. It is not error. It is not fiction. But here's another term that's used. It's referred to as the doctrine. We're to continue in the doctrine of Christ, the Bible says. Let's go to Romans 16 and in verse 17. But God bethink that you were the slaves of sin, but that you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. The revelation of God is referred to as the doctrine. We see the same thing in Hebrews chapter 6. We're, we're not delaying again the foundation of the first principles, but we're to progress on in the doctrines. Titus 2 and in verse 1 says essentially the same thing. What does it mean doctrine? It's the word for teaching, for instruction. Translated taught in Titus chapter 1 and in verse 9. So when we talk about the gospel of Christ, we talk about the doctrine, we're talking about the Bible. What's it called? What, what, what do we call this book? Well, it's called the Bible because it's the book from God. It, we call it the scriptures because it's the writings that came from God. We call it the word of God because it is the vehicle of thought of the mind of God. We call it the gospel because it's the good news. We call it the oracles because it's the sayings of God. We call it the truth because it came from God and it's not false. We call it the doctrine because it's the teaching of God. All of those are terms that refer to the gospel or refer to the Bible. Now let's raise a second question. We're trying to come to a better understanding of what this Bible is all about and how do I use it and what's it mean to me? Secondly, let's raise the question, how did it come to us? How did I get this Bible? Did God hand the King James translation down out of the clouds of heaven and hand it to man so now he has that? Or did man just make this up and God gave his approval to that? How in the world did this all come to us in the first place? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. Remember we started with the mind of God. All things began with the mind of God. God who at sundry times, that is in different times and in different manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. God speaks to us. That's why we call it the Word of God, the utterance of God, the sayings of God, the oracles of God, the Scriptures. Here's what God has decided to reveal from his mind. So God who in time past spoke to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So what began in the mind of God God speaks to us through his son who has all authority, Matthew 28, verse 19. Then let's go to 1 Corinthians 14 and in verse 37. 1 Corinthians 14 and 37. Paul said, the things which he preached, the things which he wrote, the things which he taught, he said they are, I'll write to you which are the commandments of the Lord. Well, so what I'm teaching to you, I got it from the Lord. Where did Jesus get that? He got it from the mind of God. Let us look at another text here. John chapter 16. As you're turning to John chapter 16, let me remind you that John chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 go together as a unit of chapters of Jesus talking to his disciples. And here's what he says to them in chapter 16. When he departs and ascends to heaven, he's going to send the Holy Spirit who would guide them and notice what he says in chapter 16 now and at verse 13. Are you reading with me? How, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Now what's Jesus saying? What began in the mind of God, God speaks to us by his Son. 
Jesus said he would send the Holy Spirit upon the apostles, and the Holy Spirit then would guide them. So now let's go to another passage in that same context, chapter 14, and in verse 26. But when the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, notice the harmony of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit would guide others in what Jesus had been teaching that came from the mind of God. So what began in the mind of God has been revealed through Jesus and the Holy Spirit to the apostles. Then let's go to Matthew chapter 10. Jesus told the apostles that they're going to be under trial. You're going to be under persecution. And you're going to be put on trial and, and you're going to wonder, what am I going to say? How am I going to defend myself? What should I do? And I want you to notice in Matthew chapter 10 and in verse 19, he says, but when they deliver you, do not worry about how or what you will speak. Don't think about the words you're going to say. Don't think about how you're going to formulate your words. Don't think about the message you're going to deliver. Why? Why shouldn't I think about that? Look at verse 19, for it shall be given to you in that hour what you shall speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. The Holy Spirit would guide them in what they were saying. So here's what we have. When the apostles and the prophets, New Testament prophets that is, would write and they would speak, they are being guided by the Holy Spirit who was sent through Jesus by the Father. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were guiding the apostles in their preaching, their teaching, and in their writing. Now let's go further to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's notice two passages here, starting with Ephesians, I said chapter 6, actually chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul said, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words. What does he mean by mystery? A mystery is something that's not known. If you don't know, it's mystery. So what was in the mind of God was a mystery until it was revealed. Now how did it become revealed? Look at verse 4. By which when you read you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ. He said now you can read it. Well where did that all come from? Which in other ages was not known to the sons of men, but has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. That which was in the mind of God up here, that which was in the mind of God has now been revealed to the apostles and prophets. And he said, now we can read it and we can understand it. I'm beginning to understand how the word came to us. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you don't go to another text this morning, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, a very important text a couple of times in our study this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. He said, as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. What's he talking about? Some have thought, that's talking about something I've, I've never seen, like maybe it's the glories of heaven, or, or maybe it's something in the future that's going to take place that I hadn't seen yet. No, he's talking about what's in the mind of God until it was known it was a mystery. Now he illustrates. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man who is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. In other words, I could tell you I'm thinking of something. But you don't know what I'm thinking until I reveal that to you. And now when I've revealed it to you, it's no longer a mystery. So he said the same thing is true with the mind of God. Now verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Now we know what was in the mind of God, and the apostles now know that 
Now notice what he says at verse 13. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now here's what I just learned. I learned from Ephesians 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that the apostles and prophets wrote these things down in what we would refer to as the original autographs or the original writings. They took that and they wrote that down. So that when they have, I go back to the original Greek text and I read what's there, I know that it came from the apostles where they get it from the Holy Spirit, from Christ and from the mind of God. It has the power of God behind that. Now from that it's been translated into our language. That is what you're reading, I asked you earlier, what is it you hold in your hand? You hold an English translation of the Bible and you can read from that. So where did that come from? That English translation was translated out of the original Greek. Where'd that come from? It was written by the apostles. Where'd that come from? From the Holy Spirit, from Christ, and from the mind of God. So I'm reading in English what's in the mind of God. That's just a footnote, which really doesn't have to do with the flow here. Quite often someone says, I want to go back and I want to read it in the original. What they mean is, I want to read it in the old King James Version. Well, that ain't the original. See, that didn't come around to 1611. When they say the original, they want to go back to whatever translation they grew up with. It might be the American Standard. Good translation. The King James, good translation. I want to get it back in the original. All right? Do, do, can you go back and read Greek? You say, well, no, I can't read Greek. I've got to depend on a translate. You see, it's all been translated out of the original language. So then when I'm reading this English translation, I'm reading what came from the mind of God. Now let's go to a third question. Let's talk about being inspired of God. Now, I understand where it came from. It came from God. But could it be that God just moved men and motivated them to write some things, but they wrote of their own mind and of their own accord and their own will? Let's talk about inspiration. The word inspiration simply means God breathed. Check Robertson, Trench, and others, Thayer and Bedag and others will all say it means God breathed. Some translate it or give the idea that it means God breathed in, but it doesn't give the idea that God breathed into something that was already produced. It literally is the idea of God breathed out. Meaning by that, it is given by the breath of God. So the idea that if the Bible is inspired, it is given by the breath of God, God breathed these words. God spoke these words. Let me give you evidence of that. Here's what David said. Here's one of the greatest statements about inspiration in all of the Bible. David said this in 2 Samuel, or he said about David in 2 Samuel chapter 23, 1 and 2. Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high and anointed of God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Now David wrote many psalms. What did David say about what he wrote? The spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. What David is saying is not that I wrote some things and I presented it to God and God said, that looks okay, I give my stamp of approval. So God breathed into that. No, that's not what David said. God's saying God breathed out. What does he mean? But the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. That what I spoke was what came from the Spirit of God. That's inspiration. Now let's turn to another passage in Matthew chapter 22. We're still talking about David. Here's a New Testament reference. Jesus said, how then does David 
in the Spirit call him Lord. As David is being quoted from Psalms, he said, how does David, not does David speak on his own, or how did David write something and then God gave his approval, but how did David in the Spirit say, call him Lord? That harmonizes. The Lord gave his approval. In other words, now the Lord is giving his approval to David's claim back here that the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. Search as you may for a definition of inspiration, you won't find a better one than found in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're still talking about inspiration. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation. Let's stop there. Quite often people read the text and they say, well, we're not supposed to interpret the scriptures. Well, what gave you the idea we're not supposed to interpret the scriptures? Well, I just read right here, it's not of any private interpretation, and they just interpreted the scriptures just then. <laughs> or at least they attempted to. What does he mean it's not of any private interpretation? Notice, here's a very important word. Notice this word right here. The word for. For. Prophecy never came by the will of man. Here's my explanation, Peter is saying, that prophecy is not of in private interpretation. What do you mean by that, Peter? What I mean is, the prophecy never came by the will of man. Speaking of Old Testament prophecy, it never came by the will of man. In other words, man did not sit down and write that prophecy. Of his own will, in his own mind, in his own accord, man never did that. So you're saying then Jeremiah, when he wrote, he didn't write it out of his own mind? No, he didn't do that. You're saying Amos didn't do that? No, he didn't do that either. Nor did Isaiah, nor did any other prophet. But, but, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is prophecy did not owe its origin to man. That's what he means, it's not of private interpretation. So when I read Jeremiah, that prophecy did not originate in his mind. It originated in the mind of God. Prophecy had its origin from God. That's the point. But God used the instrumentality of human authors. He used Jeremiah. He used Amos. He used Isaiah. He used Habakkuk and a host of others. We see the instrumentality of human authors. But in addition to that, these human authors were moved by the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to move by the Holy Spirit? Born along as a ship would be moved by the wind. As the, the wind is moving and guiding the ship at the direction where the wind wants to take the ship, the same thing is true with these men being born by the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were moved by the power of the Holy Spirit as they were writing. Here is a claim of inspiration of a New Testament writer saying that was true of the Old Testament. These men were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now let's talk about two aspects of inspiration. The Bible affirms plenary, a plenary inspiration. What does that mean? The word simply means all or complete. In other words, the Bible makes a claim that all of it is inspired. Now some have the concept that a portion of the Bible is inspired, and if you come across a portion you don't like, then you reject it as being inspired. Martin Luther did that. The book of James is not inspired. Well, it just so happens James taught that you're not saved by faith only, which Luther believed. So it must not be inspired. You see, we could do that with any text. But here's what the text says. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. All of it is. 
Now chapter 5, chapter 5, 1 Timothy 5, same, same writer, same author, talks about the term scripture and quotes from the Old and the New Testament from Deuteronomy and Luke and both calls both of those scripture. The Bible also affirms verbal inspiration. What does that mean? Every word. In other words, God didn't just give the thought to man and then man writes of his own will. What that would mean is it was of private interpretation, of private origin. Because you could tell me to write about something, you tell me to write about my family, then I could make up the story, and you say, well, that's not really what I wanted you to write. Well, I was writing of my own will. You gave me the idea of what to write, but I'm writing of my own thoughts. But the Bible affirms that every word was chosen by God. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 2.13 again. Perhaps you have this marked. If not, this would be a good time to mark this in your Bible. Remember, we looked at the context a moment ago about the revelation. Not in words, not in words, which man's wisdom teaches. That is, we, we wrote this down. God has revealed it to us. Not in words that man's wisdom teaches. Well, where would the words come from? But which the Holy Spirit teaches. In other words, the Holy Spirit chose the very words that were used by the writers of the New Testament. The Bible makes the claim it is inspired. Now let's spend the rest of our time talking about its value to us. I know what we call this book and I know how it came to us and I know that it's inspired of God. What value is this book to me? What is this book you hold in your hand? What value is this book to you? Well, first, I can know God and his will through this book. I can know God and his will through this book. It reveals the mind of God. We won't go back and read this. This is a passage we've been talking about several times, 1 Corinthians 2. That which was a mystery has now been revealed, the text says. It's now revealed, now we know the mind of God. So I can know, I don't have to sit and wonder, I wonder what God's plan is for man. I wonder what God was thinking about man. I wonder what God's thinking about salvation. I wonder what God thinks about me. That's been revealed. It's been revealed. And I can read it. So I can know the mind of God. I can know that Jesus is real. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5 and quickly notice verse 13. John writing this epistle. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, these things have I written. Remember, he's writing by inspiration. To you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe on the name of the Son of God. We can know that Jesus is real. We can know that we have eternal life. Look at verse 13, that you may know you have eternal life. You see, what this book does for me is it tells me some things I can know. I can know God. I can know what's in his mind. I can know what he's thinking. I can know that Jesus is real. And I can know I have eternal life. This book is valuable because it tells us how to be saved. That's found in the gospel. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Notice the flow from 16 to 17. The gospel. Remember we talked about what the word gospel means? The good news? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. It has the power to bring about salvation. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now look at verse 17. For in it. In what? In the gospel he just talked about. In the gospel. In the revelation. In it. 
The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. What is the righteousness of God? It's God's plan for making men righteous. And you say, how do you know? That's how it's used in chapter 10. That's how it's used in chapter 3. That's how it's used in chapter 1. We submit to it, chapter 10. It has been revealed separate and apart from the, from the law, chapter 3. And here we see it's something that's found in the gospel. So it's revealed in the gospel. I just have to read the text. I just have to read the words of the Bible. And I can know what to do to be saved. Because God's power to save is revealed in the gospel. What it tells me is we're saved by Christ. He died and was crucified. And was buried and was raised again. According to the scriptures, Paul said. We're to receive with meekness and grafted word which is able to save our soul. We're saved by words. There's power in this message. So what, what is this book I hold in my hand? It has the message of salvation. We can be saved by the words. We recently talked on Wednesday night about Cornelius. Remember Cornelius was told that Peter will tell you words whereby you might be saved. But the other text says he's going to tell you what you must do. So those words involve things he was to do to be saved. It's what the Word of God tells us. Here's something else. Here's the value it is to me. It tells me the truth from error. You see, I don't have to wonder what truth is. You remember Pilate raised a question, what is truth? As if we can't figure that out. I don't have to wonder. I wonder what's true. And you look at the denominational world, you look at the religious world, and you see all kinds of confusion from the creation of the world to whether or not Jesus was raised from the dead to whether or not one must be obedient to the Lord to be saved or how should I live the Christian life and there's mass confusion. I don't have to wonder what's true. I just go to the word of God and I find out what is truth. John 17, 17 said, Thy word is truth. Here's the, here's the truth of God. It's revealed in the will. Here it is in the book. It's like wanting to know. I wonder what the rules are for, for playing uh, softball. You got the rule book in your hand. Well, just read it. He'll tell you what the rules are. I wonder if you can do this if that's legal in the game. Well, read the rule book and it'll tell you. So here's what God has said. It's revealed in the word. That's what the truth is. Look at Acts 17 in verse 11. Here were those who searched the scriptures daily whether the things were so. In other words, to find out if what was been preached and what had been taught was true. That's how I determine that. I go to the scriptures and I find out whether it's true or not. So someone says, you know what? Jesus is the son of God. I need to look at the scriptures and say, you know what? That is exactly what it says. He is the son of God. But someone comes along and tells me the Bible is not God's final revelation. And then I go to the scriptures and I find out the Bible is God's final revelation. I found out that was error. And furthermore, it's a guide to live by. What is this book you hold in your hand? What value is it? It's a guide by which we live. We must live by the gospel. Let's look at Philippians chapter 1 and in verse 21. Philippians 1, 21, the apostle Paul said, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Some have the idea the term gospel has to do only with the life of Christ and the goodness of Christ and he died for you. That's the gospel. But gospel has to do with any part of the revelation of God. Because we're to walk according to the gospel. Let's go to another passage in Galatians chapter 2 and in verse 14. When Peter acted as a hypocrite, remember what Paul said to him? He said, you're not walking according to the gospel. You're not walking according to the gospel. It's a guide by which we live. But furthermore, it's our authority in religion. Let's talk about some false standards of authority. Sometimes people have their standard of authority as I think. 
Here's what I think. I, I, I just kind of think that God would be pleased with this. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the ends there are for the ways of death. Proverbs 14 and in verse 12. Others function on their feelings. Here's how I feel. I feel like God would be pleased. I, I feel like this would be wrong. I feel like this would be right. It's not in man that walketh to direct his own footsteps. Others have a standard of their family. Whatever my family religion is, that's what I hold to. And whatever my family believes, that's good enough for me. One who comes to Christ must hate his father and the mother in the sense that he that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, Jesus would say. Luke chapter 14, parallel text, Matthew chapter 10. Some use their preacher or their pastor as the standard. Whatever he says, that must be the truth. He knows more about the Bible than I do. We're to try the spirits to see if they're of God. Others stick their finger to the wind and they want to know whatever the majority thinks. This is what the religious world thinks, that must be true. We're not to follow the multitude to do evil. Exodus chapter 23 and verse 2. Only a few will be saved and the majority are going to destruction. What is the true standard in religion? The word of God. This revelation, the scriptures, the Bible. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. The Apostle Paul would say, according as it is written, I believe and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. What is written of God, the scriptures. That is the all-sufficient standard. <clears throat> it's all-sufficient because it's all that we need. All Scripture is given by inspiration, is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped. It's all that we are to teach. It is all that establishes our faith. If our faith is established by anything other than the revelation, it's not true faith. It's all that we need for our practice, Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 17. So what is our standard in religion? It's the Bible, the only thing, the only book. No other book, no other standard is what we're to use. What have we seen? Very simple study this morning. The Bible. What is that book you hold in your hand? What's it for? What are you to do with it? How are you to use it? Where'd it come from anyway? What's it called? And so what have we talked about this morning? We've talked about what you call this book. It's called the Bible. It's called the book. It's called the scriptures. Call the Word of God. Call the oracles of God. How did it come to us? It came to us from the mind of God. Through Christ and through the revelation of the Holy Spirit to the apostles and prophets. And we can read it and we can understand. And we can know exactly what was in the mind of God. It is inspired and we see the value it is to us.